on my heart is uh, something that I do I do not charge anyone here with, but just to uh, remind us to, as uh, as Peter said, stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. Uh, I'll start in Hebrews chapter five with a charge that uh, that the uh, Hebrews received uh, at the hands of uh, I'm going to say the Apostle Paul. Uh, whoever might have wrote this, I believe it to be the Apostle Paul. And it's a harsh charge. And again, I, I don't bring this up saying that uh, anyone here is guilty of this, but only to remind us uh, of the importance of, uh, of learning. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, He says, Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now last night we talked about uh, Adam and Eve and how that uh, they were tempted, uh, Eve was tempted and deceived, beguiled to partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And how that she gave to Adam uh, there with him, and he ate of it as well. And the consequences uh, of that, uh, of, of eating of that. And so now we might ask, well, if that's our case, if uh, we obviously have not become gods like Satan tried to lead Eve to believe we would, we've obviously not become gods, and we will not be becoming gods, but... Certainly we have an understanding of good and evil, but sometimes our understanding of good and evil is not as clear-cut, maybe, as, uh, as it should be. And so here uh, we, we, uh, we read that by reason of, uh, of use, that is, if we were to use what God has given us, that is, to, to partake of the strong meat, and we'll talk more about that, then our senses will be exercised to be able to discern both good and evil such that when those uh, areas which seem to be gray uh, come along that maybe we can through the wisdom of God and His help through the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern what is good and what uh, what is evil. But notice that he starts out by saying, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again. That is, we haven't learned our lessons. Every once in a while, uh, when I'm visiting with one of the kids at San Antonio, uh, and I'll ask them how their week has been, you know, and how school is going and such, and, and sometimes I'll ask them, well, what did you learn this week? And whenever I ask them that, most of the times it's like a deer caught in the headlights, right? And they think, what did I learn this week? And, I, how, you know, they, they, they sometimes, oftentimes, can't tell me what they learned this past week. Well, I know that they're learning something, 
you know, little bit by little bit, but it seems like they can't tell us what they learned this week. And so we chuckle about that and such. And then I ask the adults what I preach about last week. <laughs> and I kind of get the same look. <laughs> and sometimes I look at myself in the mirror and I say, what did you preach last week? And I still get the same look, right? I don't even know what I preached last week. So we have times when we haven't learned the lessons that we need to learn, right? And, uh, and we need to focus more on learning these lessons that, uh, that are here in the Scripture. And uh, as it reads here, there, we've come to the time, we come to the time in life when we ought to be able to teach and not just be a student. We desire for our children to, to grow up and to, uh, uh, you know, as the old saying is, the, uh, the student has become the master, right? We want our, our children to grow up and to know more than we do. Not just know more about the things to get along in life, but particularly we want them to know more than we do about the Scripture. And so we've got to, to teach them in that way. But how are we going to teach if we haven't learned the lessons yet? Now, Brother Jonathan mentioned that he uh, teaches music, and um, uh, I can't do that. In fact, I'm not sure I can be taught, taught that either, but, uh, but uh, uh, at any rate, I, I, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm not one that understands. I, I could give you a, a do, re, mi, I could give you a fa, la, ti, or whatever, you know, and I could do it in odd pitches, and it would drive Brother Jonathan crazy because uh, he, he knows how wrong I would be. But then if I went to somebody and taught them uh, something different, then, and they learned that something different, and they teach somebody else that which is different, and it keeps spreading, and it keeps spreading, and it keeps spreading, Pretty soon, uh, somebody's going to say, well, what Brother Jonathan teaches, that's not right. That's not how I learned it. And so how I learned it is T-Fa-Mo, you know. And so it, it, it's just nonsense, we know, but, but that's the way that the world is. And that's why it's so important for us to learn the lessons of Scripture, is so that we know what the truth is. Amen. So that we know that when somebody else is not teaching the truth, when somebody else is not preaching the truth, then we know that it is a counterfeit. I think I have shared with you before uh, that in the banking world, which is where I spend uh, a large part of my life is in the banking world, uh, when it comes to teaching a teller uh, about money, what we do is we teach them what real money looks like what real money feels like, what real money is, is all about, so that they can understand when they feel it, when they see it, they, they know that it's real, so that when they see a counterfeit, they know that it is the counterfeit. And we can't teach them about the counterfeits because there's a whole lot of differences among all the counterfeits, right? And we wouldn't be able to teach them. But if you teach the truth, if you teach the truth, then you're able to spot the counterfeit. If you teach the truth, then you're able to spot what is not the truth. And we can't cover all of the lies that are out there. We can't cover all of the non-truths. We just teach what the Bible says. And if we learn what the Bible says, then we can understand and recognize that which is not scriptural. 
And that's why thus saith the Lord is so important and not what thus saith Mike or Steve or Jonathan or anybody else. It's what the Lord says that is so important. And so uh, we learn here, we've got to not just dwell on the easy stuff, right? We've got to get down deep. We've got to, to take on uh, more than that. Uh, he says, when the, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. How sad it would be that uh, somebody who was, you know, a, a teenager or an adult would need to be sent back to uh, primary school in order to learn their ABCs and how to read. And I know that the that in uh, too many cases, people come out of school not really being able to read very well. And I don't want to go down that road, but how sad it is when that occurs and, 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 uh, and to not know the very principles, the very first parts of it. Now, back when uh, this uh, church was first organized and, and, and even when this uh, uh, church house was first built, uh, we, we know that you know, they, they would rely upon primers or primers, whichever way you want to say it, and, and, uh, and to, in order to learn the very basics. And the, the writer here is saying, you have learned the basics. You've got the ABCs down pat. You understand that. And I know that we've got some young ones here who are going to learn their ABCs, not only literally, but also the ABCs of Scripture. That is, the very principles of the doctrines of God's sovereignty, of the grace of God, you know, of, of limited atonement and of total depravity and things like that. And we're going to teach them those things. But for the, for the rest of us, we, we understand these things, but there's much more to it than just tulip, right? I mean, that's a, that's a good way to start and to understand and to learn, but there's much more to it than just tulip. And we will never plumb the depths of, of all there is about God and about Jesus Christ and about the Holy Spirit and, and about our relationship with Him and what He's done. We'll never plumb the depths of that, but... We just got to keep on learning and, and just get away from just the principles and basics. It goes on to say, Years such as become have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now, uh, uh, Elder Boyd uh, has uh, his business is that in assisted living. And he can tell you that when, uh, when he goes there and, and there's some people there, they can't handle the, the solid foods anymore. You, you really have to, I think I've heard him talk about how that they have to blend it up and such sometimes in order to, to be able to feed the residents. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's it, one, of, one of my downfalls is I like to eat, right? And, and I, I, don't, uh, I don't have any other bad habits, none whatsoever, but just eating, right? And I, I overeat and such. But I, I enjoy my food, in particular certain types of food. Uh, you know, I really enjoy and such. And as I'm enjoying those types of food, uh, I don't like to think about, well, one of these days, somebody might have to put this in a blender just so I can eat it, right? Well, I, I don't want to go back to being fed from a bottle either, right? And that, how sad that would be. Can you imagine if I came here and uh, we, we had lunch this afternoon and we went downstairs there at Mount Carmel and I said, okay, go get my bottle out of the refrigerator. Well, not that kind of bottle, but you know the, the baby bottle. Go, go get the, my baby bottle out of the refrigerator and 
and y'all would think, what is wrong with Brother Mike drinking from a baby's bottle like that, right? Well, that's what Paul is saying here. Don't be on a baby's bottle when it comes to the spiritual food either. Amen. Don't, don't stay there. But instead, learn more and, and, uh, and, and take on the stronger meat because strong meat is needful. It belongs to them that are of full age. Now, I know that I haven't gotten to full age yet. You know, I'm not old like Elder Boyd is. And, and certainly not like Sister Peggy is. But, but I have actually gotten to the age where I can actually eat meat, which is good because I like steak. I like chicken fried steak. I like chicken. I like all these things, you know. And, and I'm glad uh, to, that, I, that I can do that. But also, spiritually speaking, I'm no longer a baby. I have come of, I have matured enough that I can take the stronger things that the Scripture has to say. And it belongs to, to us who have matured, who have matured in, in Christ, even those who by reason of use, and that's a particularly important phrase there, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And um, one of the things that, uh, that my wife watches on Netflix is that um, it's, it's the Great British Baking Show or whatever it's called, you know, and she'll watch that. Uh, and I watch it too because I, I like salivating over all that they bake on there, you know, and wishing I had it. And, and it's, a, it's a great way to, uh, to, uh, to look at it without actually adding the pounds, right? To, to, but it doesn't taste as good when I go lick the screen. But the, the thing is, is that uh, as, as she is, is watching this, uh, they, these judges... There's all kinds of things that go into what they're baking, and these just say, "Oh well, I can taste the the cardamom here, you know, and I can taste the the pesto here, and I can taste this, and I can taste that. I don't taste when I eat, you know. I just and there it goes. There it goes. It's gone. So, but the scripture here is saying that we we want to have our senses exercised, right, by learning these things. We have these senses. We have taste. We have touch. We have sight. We have smell. We have hearing. We have these senses, right? And uh, and, and we have these spiritual senses as well. And, and we want to be able to exercise those so that when we hear something that's not right, we know it's not right. When we see something that's not right, we know it's not right. You know, when we smell something that's not right, we know it's not. When we when when somebody tries to feed us something that isn't right, we know it isn't right, and we can spit it out. And we've got to have our senses exercised in that way. A couple of three years ago, I I read a book called The Essential Church. The Essential Church. And I asked my congregants there in San Antonio, I said, is the church essential? Is the church essential? Now let me stop here because definitions are very important. And I think I've mentioned before that, that uh, when you're entering into a contract, always read the definitions because uh, in a contract they can define up is down and left is right and, and you never know. So definitions are important. When, when I'm asking, is the church essential, 
I'm not asking whether the church building is essential. That's an easy thing, right? Is, is the church building essential? Love this church. Love the history of this building. I love the, the story of bringing the bricks up and, and the sisters uh, bringing them up, doing, doing all of that hard work while the men uh, uh, just put them one on top of the other. You know, we got the easy job. The, I love that, uh, the, the history of this building. But if this building, and I, uh, somebody was mentioning that uh, maybe a storm had damaged it at some point in the past, uh, and if a storm came through and took this building away, would that mean, oh, the church is gone? And you know and I know that it's not. Because why? Because you, as the people of God, you are the church. So is the church essential I think it becomes an easy answer then, doesn't it? Yes, the church is absolutely essential. And a related question to that is, is worship essential? Amen. Is worship essential? And there are a lot of people, way too many people, who are in the, shall I call it, the universal church. That is, they are part of the number of, uh, of the elect. Too many of God's elect believe that worship is not essential. And we have to make sure that we do not number ourselves among those who believe that worship is not essential. Amen. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I can worship God while I'm out on the boat. I can worship God while I'm on the golf course. I can worship God while I'm mowing the yard. I can worship God while I'm sleeping in. Now, that's a little interesting one, right? How can you worship when you're asleep? But, you know, I, people think, well, I don't need to, to go to, to meet with the church, the, the local brethren. I can worship God anywhere. And yet, in this same Hebrews, turning over to chapter 10, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And the third one, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. There is an importance to coming and worshiping God like we're doing here this afternoon. There's an importance to that. When we sing songs, the songs of praise, the Scripture says that we should sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts. It says teaching and admonishing one another. Right? Teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, Brother Van told me about uh, this, this lady that he knows uh, 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 that's a ways off, and they have a, a shared... Uh, um, interest in in hymns, and one day they got together on the telephone and they sang a hymn together, and that's wonderful to be able to do that, wonderful. But I think, brother Van, you wouldn't trade that for being able to come and worship and sing here together, right? I mean, that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do. I'm glad we've got the telephone and can do that, or or Skype it, or however you want to do it. But coming here 
and looking at each other and the love flowing from breast to breast and being able to, 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 to be with one another, how important that is to come and worship together as a body. And, uh, and we've got, uh, uh, we, we learn things. We, we learn things and uh, the Lord teaches us not only through the proclamation of the word from the pulpit, but also as we visit with one another, uh, we, we learn things, right? And the scriptures te- uh, tell us that the older men are supposed to teach the younger men, the older women to teach the younger women. There's teaching to go on, parents and teaching their children, etc. So there's a lot that, that goes on there. And so uh, we have to remember that. Now, I know that it's uh, uh, warm in here, and I, I don't want to go too long, but I, I do want to share with you uh, a couple of other things here. First of all, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, uh, this, this whole Matthew 5, 6, 7, is referred to typically as the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus starts off by giving the what's t- typically called the Beatitudes, right? Blessed is so-and-so, blessed is so-and-so, blessed is so-and-so. And He lists down here all of the Beatitudes, all the blessings. Blessed is this group and that group and, and the other group. And he, he ends up that, that list by talking about being blessed when we are persecuted and when we are reviled that we should rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is our reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. And in saying that, we might have a tendency to say, well, wait a minute, if I'm going to be persecuted, then I need to make sure that I worship safely in hiding and don't let anybody know it and don't let anybody know that I am a Christian and I need to do it in secret because I don't want to be persecuted. I mean, after all, Paul uh, also says, Yea, uh, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, right? And so uh, we say that and say, well, uh, we better tone it down and hide it. But then Jesus turns right around and says, Now remember this, you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. And salt has a preserving impact and influence on meat, doesn't it? That's why you salt the meat. Uh, is It has a preserving uh, impact. Now, I took that a little too literally, and I said, well, then I'm going to eat more salt, and my doctor disagreed. I said, well, if I eat more salt, then I'll be preserved. And he said, no, there's too much uh, to it. So there's a balance there to be had, right? And so salt is a preserving in- influence. We, as the, as the people of God, as the, as the visible church of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to have an impact and influence in this world. Would you agree with that? Amen. And how can we have an impact and an influence when we're hiding away somewhere, right? We were supposed to be. Further, he goes on to say, You're the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. You don't light your candle and hide it under a bushel. We're supposed to be like a city set on a hill that they can see from a distance. And and, uh, as they see from a distance, they know that we're there. We're supposed to have an impact in this world. Now, we're not supposed to save this world. We can't do that. We don't have that ability to do that. We we are not, even, even for the people of God, we're not saving souls for heaven. That's God's job, but we are supposed to have an impact. We're supposed to have an influence in this world. And so uh, in order for us to have the full impact that we should, we've got to learn our lessons. We've got to understand 
the Word of God. We've got to understand what God has put forth. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's all well and good, Brother Mike, but I'm just one little old person here, and besides, I, I don't think that I can manage that. I don't think that I can do that because, uh, because I have no influence. Well, let me take you to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. In Mark chapter 15, we have the scene of the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus has been brought before Pilate. He has been stripped bare. He has been beaten with scourges. He is, I mean, his, uh, it is so bad. I don't even want to describe it. It is so bad, the condition that Jesus is in. And then they place upon him this, this cross beam that he is supposed to carry, and he's supposed to carry it up the Golgotha's hill so that he can, he's actually carrying up that hill the very item that he's going to be crucified on. Right? And as he's going up, as he is, is doing this, it says that they've clothed him in purple, they've plaited a crown of thorns, and put it on his head. They've saluted him. Hail, King of the Jews. And I'm reading down in 19 now, uh, 15, 19. Uh, they smote him on the head with the reed and spit on him and, and mocked him and, and such. And, and, and they, uh, then they take all of that and they let him out to be crucified. And he is walking along there with the shame that goes along with it and carrying his cross. And he, he, uh, he, he stumbles and when he does... There's this fellow that has come to town, to Jerusalem, and his name is Simon. This is in Mark 15, 21. Simon, and Simon is a Cyrenian. That is, he's from uh, Cyrus, and he, he, he is just there. We don't know if he's there because it's the time of the feast, the Passover, or if he's just got business there, but he's come up on, and can you imagine, here comes Simon in, people are lined up on the street, and, and, uh, and they're, they're hauling these three, Jesus and the other two thieves, they're hauling them up to uh, Golgotha to be crucified, and he comes up on this scene, and, and just as he gets uh, to, uh, to where Jesus is going to come by, and Jesus stumbles, and, and, and then the guard says, Hey, you! And he says, me? The guard says, yeah, you. Come over here and carry this for him. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Come on. You come and carry this cross. And he has no choice because when the Roman soldier said for you to do something, you did it, right? And he starts carrying this cross. And you, can you imagine? He doesn't... There's no indication he knows who Jesus is. There's no indication. He's, from, he's a Cyrenian. He's coming to town for some other purpose. He, there's no indication he knows what's going on. He doesn't know what Jesus has done. He must be guilty. The Romans are taking him up to be crucified. He must be a bad guy. And there's two others that are they're taking up as well. And so he's carrying the cross of who he thinks to be a criminal and who he thinks to be is guilty. And he's, I'm sure, embarrassed about it. I'm sure that he is mortified about it because now he is carrying the cross of a convicted criminal 
who is going to be crucified. Cyrenian. He says, Simon the Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country. And we learn that Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. And he bears the cross of Jesus. Now there are, as we go along, after the crucifixion, after the uh, resurrection, after the ascension of Jesus, we learn that the disciples come together on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit engulfs them and dwells within them and they start proclaiming the Word of God and they proclaim it in languages they had not been taught. And, and as, as they do that, we see that uh, as they're proclaiming the Word of God, uh, uh, the, the people, and I'm in Acts 2, 7 now, they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? I mean, Galileans. That's, you know, that, that's kind of like saying somebody from Arkansas. Okay, what's, what's, uh, what's a good one for up here? You know, who, who do y'all look down on? You know, <laughs> West Virginia? No, no. The Galileans? They don't know anything. Aren't these which speak Galileans? And yet, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And it wasn't just one group. There were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamians and, and people from Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and e Egyptians and Libyans and people from Cyrene and Rome, etc., etc. They're Cyrenians there. We go along and we can, we can see where when Stephen was uh, challenged that there were Cyrenians there. And it keeps going and keeps going. Now, let's close out by turning to the book of Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Years have passed. Simon the Cyrenian, we, we don't know what has happened to him. Jesus has been crucified and has been buried and rose again and ascended into heaven and years have passed. And now, uh, not only that, uh, uh, the, the man called Saul went around killing Christians and imprisoning them until he had that experience on the road to Damascus where Jesus revealed himself and, uh, and then later on became known as Paul. And, uh, and Paul has, uh, has gone around and proclaimed Jesus Christ. And we see the, the church being spread. And Paul comes to a place where he's writing to the Romans. And he closes out this letter to the Romans. And he starts mentioning people. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, a servant of the church which is at Sincrea. And he, he goes on to say, greet Priscilla and Aquila. And we remember uh, who they were. And he, he says, likewise, uh, greet the church that is in their house. And, and my well-beloved Eponidas. And, uh, and he, he, the, there's a, a sister, Mary, uh, Andronicus, Junia. And he goes on and on and on and on. And he gets down to verse 13 and he says, And salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Rufus, that name's familiar. Hmm. This fellow named Simon who came from the country, 
And as he just happened to be passing by, and uh, as Jesus got to his place, and, and he was pulled into the service of Jesus. He didn't want to be, but he was pulled into the service of Jesus. And he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Wonder why God told us that he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Maybe God knew that when Paul was converted and would later on be writing back to the church at Rome, that he would say, Oh, and greet Rufus. And I think that somewhere in between there, Simon went home, and we see where there were Cyrenians who were members of the church at Antioch. I think Simon went back, and maybe he did a little Google research on who this Jesus was. Maybe he came to find out about this fellow named Jesus whose cross he carried. And maybe he and his wife, because it says not only to salute Rufus, but also to salute his mother. And Paul says, and mine. I don't think she was the natural mother of Paul but she became a mother in Israel and she became a mother to the Apostle Paul. I don't know about you, but I have lots of mothers in Israel. All because Simon, that fellow that we don't know much about, all because Simon went back and shared with his wife what had happened on that day, that he carried the cross of this fellow named Jesus. And they learned who He was. And the Lord showed them the truth and converted them. And later on, they ministered to God's chosen Apostle, the Apostle Paul. So strongly and so effectively and so closely that Paul said, she's like a mother to me. And Rufus is like a brother to me. Greet them also. So when you think you can't do anything, just remember, you can. Just like Simon did. And pass it on. And pass it on. And pass it on. But get to know the truth. Get to know the truth. And don't be dependent upon the milk anymore. But take some of that strong meat. It's good. And it'll help you to continue to grow. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.